Hey, Maka. Hey, Streety. And hello, Nugget. Howdy, boys. Here we are, still in self-isolation. We are, we are, but we might be coming to an end, so we are recording still on our Zoom podcast, Fit. We're still not sure if one of us has got the dreaded virus, so we're going to stay apart for a few more days. Yeah, well, so far, no Rona for me. Don't know about you, boys. No, I've been tested. I'm clear. You've been tested? Yeah, mate. Did you do the drive-through test? No, I actually did it at the GP because I came down with flu-like symptoms. And... uh, and yeah, it was quite an unpleasant experience, to be honest. So for anyone that hasn't had the Rona test, which would be me, um, yeah. what do they actually do? Uh, you know, those Q-tips that you usually used to use to clean out your ear, um, they uh. get one of those, which is about three times longer than the normal one that you would have seen in a shop. Yep. And they say, just just sit there for a sec. This is going to hurt. And they shove it up your nose. And it feels like they shove it up there until they touch your eyes. Um, and, and then, and that's basically it. And, but it just hurts. Like, so anyway, it's only, it's, I guess it's like getting a needle, right? It's a, it's the pain. It's more of a discomfort than anything um, for a couple of seconds. And then it's over. Had you convinced yourself into um, possibly having the Rona? Uh, no, I had, I was, so the bizarre thing about it was, I was on a like a telehealth call with my GP and he I described my symptoms and he said, oh, I think it's probably a good idea that you get tested just because everyone is getting tested. It was just at the start of when they were opening it up to most people. Um, and he said, just come down. You don't live too far from the practice. Why don't you just walk down um, and I'll, I'll do it there. So it was just like a normal visit to the GP, except when I walked in, he was dressed and only him, not the receptionist I spoke to, not the lady in the waiting room, but only him was dressed head to toe looking like Marty McFly from Back to the Future yeah, like when they suit. have to do the uranium or whatever. He, so he was ready. I, mean, I don't think he told anybody else that I was coming. So I don't I don't think anyone assumed that I had it. So Yeah, wow. Mm, interesting. Ah. So there you go. So um, so where, where do you think we're at with this coronavirus um, situation, not only in society but – I get the feeling that a lot of codes and sporting, you know, organisations across the world uh, are sort of getting itchy feet and realising that, um, you know, the next sort of month or so is is basically going to decide whether their respective seasons start or not. We already know that some are. We've got the footy here starting soon. That's been confirmed. But yeah. other sort of sports and codes, such as the mainly the American ones, yeah, uh, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, hockey. Uh, they seem to be fighting over other things, um, mainly to do with money. Yeah, and I think, I think, Streety, that's probably, if I was to summarise where I thought we were at as a society, I think actually that's where we're at. I think right now it seems like the value of money is starting to outweigh the value of public health because people are starting to realise the exact impact. So I'm not a medical health expert, so I don't really know the risk, and it seems like, those people that are, are still comfortable, at least in this country, that we can start to get back to some sort of normality. I, I don't feel like from what I see in the media that that's the case for Americans. And I feel like restarting their professional sporting leagues, given the length and breadth of the country that they have to travel and the amount of people that would be involved, I think is a much bigger logistical exercise and I think a huge risk, um, especially in a country that's had almost 100,000 deaths. 
but I feel like what what's happening here is the almighty dollar is starting to outweigh public health because they're starting to realize that the bank accounts running dry really quick and rent yeah, payments right. on stadiums and all that sort of stuff are, are racking up. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we've seen UFC get underway. They've had a couple of events. The Bundesliga in Germany's kicked off again. Um, you know, I guess my my personal take is that I think it'll get to the point here in Australia um, because because of our geography um, and, our, and our population and I guess how spread out we are, um, it may come to a point where our decision makers say, okay, well, you know, we've got to this stage, we've flattened the curve, which, which yeah. is the, the, the word of the day a few a couple of months ago. Now that the curve's been flattened, the load on the hospital system has been lessened. I don't think we'll ever see the coronavirus go away. It'll always be around in some form. Yeah. Um, and whether or not we attain this herd immunity by, you know, 60% of the population getting it, developing antibodies. But I think it'll come down to, you know, decisions being made where the minority, being those who are considered vulnerable, will be the ones that are isolated and the remainder of society will be back to business as usual. Unfortunately, for for people, you know, um, that may be the case, um, whether that's right or wrong, but, you know. Well, I think... The masses will will outweigh the few, I guess, won't it? Yeah, I guess. I, I think you're probably right, mate. I think as the risk of infection across a a whole community decreases, then you start weighing up the value proposition of limiting community movement for the majority. If what you can do is protect the vulnerable amongst your community by, by isolating them. And, you know, I don't, I don't say that lightly because I don't imagine it's a pleasant experience for somebody who certainly not, who has pre-existing conditions and those type of things. I, but I'm not, so I'm not saying I necessarily support it, but I'm just saying, I think that's what's happening. Um, I think, yeah, the level of community transfer has been reduced so much that, you know, we are comfortable now that we can reintroduce a sporting league um, without fans, but certainly with without significant risk to the community. And therefore, we're going to see that as okay because we all want it back, both for money purposes and for entertainment purposes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Mm. You know, and I guess the social dynamic in a country like the States is uh, is far different to what we have here. They have such a... Um, what's the word you'd use? Um, they're so sort of, you know, steadfast and headstrong about their their um, constitution, I guess, and, and their rights that, you know, they'll they'll defend some of their rights to the death and for, for them to be told you can't, can't do this, you can't stay at home, they're like, well, you can't tell me what to do, you know, it's against yeah. my constitutional right. And then, and then so you get 20, 30 million people doing the same thing, then it's just anarchy. Exactly. And I think as adults now in society, nobody likes to be told you have to do this because it's for your own good. Mm. Um, I think as a society, what we've, we've kind of worked towards is you can choose to do whatever you want and we will accept you. And that's a society I want to be involved with, but it's also one that comes with a challenge when something like this occurs that, you know, I don't want to accept. So there's a part of me that doesn't want to accept those people that are willing to risk everybody's life and go out there and just say, I don't really care if I get it or if somebody else gets it. Um, you know, but, but unfortunately we, I guess at certain points in time, that's just what has to happen because we're in a society that's accepting of most things. Yeah. 
you know, there aren't too many people out there that would just say, why do I have to stay at home? Because it's for your own good. Oh, well, okay. You know, we will do it, but only for a certain period of time. Mm. Yeah. I'll probably give a stranger pat on the back for being a little bit more mature about the situation than, than some other nations. Yeah. Born in time. And, um, you know, our, 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 our isolation is also, you know, our, um, our strength, um, in this, in this case. I think there would have been rights though, had they closed bottle shops. Yeah, no, he's right. Yep. Well, do you remember the panic buying that went on in bottle shops? And I don't even think there was a threat of them closing. Well, no. for all those listeners out there, a couple of, couple of good tips. Booze Bud offering some good specials with free delivery and uh, Stone and Wood, my favourite drop. Shout out to Stone and Wood. Um, yeah. Shout 20, discount code in your uh, shopping cart. Get a case of the Pacific R for 50 bucks delivered. Gold. Jeez. Can't beat that. Can't even get it. It's like 20 bucks, 28 bucks cheaper than what you get at Dan Murphy's. Oh, shout out to Booze Bud and Stone and Wood there. Thanks for coming on board. <laughs> they got our backs. They got our backs. Yeah, exactly. I tell you, they've been, it's been my friend during uh, during all of this anyway. But anyway, that was a heavy 12 minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was. But probably, you know, one of those things that we, we, we need to address, given our, you know, standing in the in the social media world. Well, People want to know I, our opinions. I see us as basically being next to the people they get on the Today Show and, and Sunrise every morning just to offer social commentary on all sorts of things. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when it comes about, to social commentary, we could write a book on it, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah probably about as useful as them as well. Let me. And, and coming up next, how to homeschool your kids in five <laughs> separate ways. Well, it's not something I'm, I'm an expert on. We'll give that topic a miss. No, that's for Nugget. <laughs> Nugget's going to get yeah. to it. No, they're back at school, mate. They're back at school. We're good. <laughs> But yeah. one thing all three of us are experts on is we were experts at watching The Last Dance. So that show wrapped up on Monday night. Um, ESPN's most ever watched documentary. Now, a few reasons for that, given the fact that it was MJ, the world's most popular and recognisable athlete for the Plus longest time. fuck all else on. Yeah, fuck all else on. Not much else to do. And ESPN and Netflix actually brought this forward. This, is, this series was due to air in July. Uh, after during, the finals. After the finals. Mm. But it was obviously because there was fuck all to do. Uh, they brought it forward. But uh, that was probably a good move. I turned ESPN on the other day and it was obviously they were broadcasting the guys, the video, the guys playing NBA 2K on Xbox mm. or whatever. My God, like, I don't understand how people watch that. Okay. I remember when that came out, yeah, whatever, a couple of months ago. And there was, you know, I thought, oh, this might be okay. But I watched 10 minutes of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm not a gamer, but that's probably one of the worst things yeah. that I've seen. You know, you have to try something, but yeah, I was like, bring back this the, all they got. The, the cornhole champions. That was, yeah. that was, that was better. Uh, a competitive tag lately. That's oh, yeah. good. Competitive tag. Yeah. A competitive tag's pretty interesting. What I would say to you about cornholing though, Nug, is that that's probably the most deceptive name for a show when you see it on your TV guide. Um, when uh, that's not what I expected it to be when I selected it and, and it only runs a close second to wife swap for the same thing. So when you're looking at the TV guide on Fox and you go, Oh, wife swap. Yeah. I bet it's like that. And, or cornholing just FYI. They're not what you would expect. <laughs> Wrong channel, mate. Wrong channel. Yeah. Yeah. It's late at night, you know, who knows? So, so all in all, Macca, what were your thoughts on the last dance? Did you like it? Love it? Uh, yeah, not, actually, not like it. No, I, I like. I, I really liked it. Um, it was great to see the footage and relive um, 
that like that era of basketball because that was the era that we all grew up on, right? And it's why we loved the game. Um, I I saw a quote from Shaq today. He said that he realised that '90s basketball was the greatest era of basketball ever, or something along those lines, right? Yeah. Um, and I'd probably, I, you know, I, like I'm sure our kids when they grow up, if they are into basketball or whatever, they'll remember whatever era they watch as being the greatest. Um, but you know, you do forget a little bit about some of the actual great players and some of the great teams that were matched up there. So I thought it was great to watch. Um, I really enjoyed watching it. My takeaway from it, though, I'm in, I'm firmly in the camp that this was a documentary in the purest sense of the word, and that is it, is it comes with a huge bias. Um, it was also set up to tell one person's story, and it did that, and it painted that person as being a God. And I have no doubt that Michael Jordan probably is the most talented basketball player to ever play the game. Um, but, you know, I think it, it painted him as being the victim in a lot of situations. I don't think he was the victim in. And, mm. and so, you know, so there was some, there was, I had some conflict with some of the stuff that I saw in there, um, but ultimately I enjoyed watching it, mate. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought it was exceptionally filmed. Uh, you know, there's been a bit of criticism about the way it was put together with the storylines, with parallel storylines, with the jumping, you know, back back and forth to different years. But, you know, I guess if, if you weren't a basketball fan or if you're not too familiar with the Jordan situation or you didn't grow up in the 90s and, and you didn't sort of follow that, then I can see how perhaps going from 93 to 98 and 95 back to 97 and back to the 80s, uh, may have been a bit confusing, but if you had an appreciation, understanding of what actually went on, you can you can draw a lot of parallels between the first three Pete and the second one, and and how Rodman and Horace Grant were essentially essentially the same character with with a few different traits, um, doing different things here and there. Um, so I don't. They think were basically they replica teams, the two three yeah, yeah. teams. I mean that they had a blueprint of what they wanted to put around Jordan and Pippen. And they just did that. They just replaced it with fresh personnel. Yeah. Aside from Jordan, um, you know, he came out prior to the series airing and he was um, he was saying, um, you know, oh, a lot of you guys may not like me after this. Yeah. So I don't think the juice wasn't there. I think that was a clever, you know, bit of you, you got to watch this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of hope there was more, more juice. Uh, yeah. to it, um, to, to Jordan the person. Um, but we probably got a bit of a, um, you know, a, a glimpse into him being a bit of a sociopath and a win at all costs and, you know, like um, really just sort of, you know, he described himself as having a a, um, a competitive disorder. Um, yeah. First time I've, I've ever heard that term. Um, but in his case, it probably makes perfect sense. But do you think, though, Streety, that he uses that so, so he used that to, to describe his gambling problem, right? Or, or what he described as not a problem, but oh, well, I mean, there's cases, like a gambling there was, habit. I think it doesn't present itself in like there was that film in the last last two shows where he was in that shoot around at Utah before a game, and they're all taking those, you know, um, shots from the you know forty foot where the coach's line is um, yeah. on, on the sideline, and you know guys miss the shot and. Jordan makes and he's dancing around and sort of, you know, rubbing in their, essentially just, just gloating, you know. Um, so I actually think that he did actually revel in those small victories, no matter what 
event it was, whether it just be a shooter and or, you know, gambling. I think gambling probably gave him, you know, a bit of a rush that you obviously can't get get anywhere anywhere else. Um, yeah. But in terms of the the shooter and, you know, look to win it to win it everything, you know, um, and and chase that so you know fervently, um, you know, yeah. I, I guess he could very well have this competitive disorder if that's actually a term but it also could mean that you're a bit of a dick and you know you don't give a fuck about anyone else which yeah and, I, and i've probably been a bit vocal about jordan and his personality right and maybe that's been on air or maybe that's been just in personal conversations that i've had but here's what i actually think about jordan in this sense i i can live with the fact that that he's an asshole because he's competitive and he was an asshole to his teammates and all that kind of stuff. Right. That's not, that's really got nothing to do with me. Do you know the thing that I want to see from Jordan Streety is I want to see him be the genuine Jordan, right? I, what I have, what every time I've, I lapped up everything to do with Jordan because of how good he was at basketball and how much I loved the sport um, and still love the sport. But I have never felt like I have seen the genuine Michael Jordan. And I still don't feel like that after watching the last dance, because I feel like he held back so much of what he was actually like as a person. I feel like he was so much more of a gambler. I feel like he was so much more competitive than what he let you see. And the only reason he really spoke about it was because he knew that his teammates were going to say it, right? That his ex teammates were going to say it. But even that seems desensitized or like, so, or, or sanitized, I should say. So, for me, I could probably cop Jordan and his personality and and the fact that he gets away with this image if I actually at some point got to see him be genuine and I just don't feel like I've ever gotten that. So I I respect him for the talent and I've loved watching him play and, and I still love watching him play, but I still think he's an asshole. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I think maybe we saw bits of the real Jordan during those uh, bull scrimmages where, you know, a guy would stuff up and Jordan would be rolling his eyes and, you know, saying stuff, you know, um, he, when his guard's down and he's thinking about basketball and he's playing it and guys aren't at that level and he's, you know, just rolling his eyes and basically verbalising via his gestures what he what he thinks of these guys. That's, yeah. that's the real guy showing through. But in saying that, Nate, like there were parts of him that, you know, where – you could see the wall came down just a little bit, you know, at the end of episode seven, I think it was, where you got visibly sort of, you know, upset. And, and it's, it's, See, I didn't buy that. I reckon that's bullshit because the whole thing, I think, was set up to make him the victim and that was one of the particular scenes I thought that just portrayed him as the victim. Oh, it upsets me that people judge me to be a bad person just because I'm competitive. No, we don't judge you to be a bad person because you're competitive. We judge you because you're a bad person. Because you're an asshole. So anyway. Yeah, I mean, but he did make a point following that, which I, you know, um, whether they were crocodile tears or not, but he did say, you know, I didn't do a damn thing that uh, I didn't make anyone do a damn thing that I didn't do myself. Um, that's when it comes to the on-court stuff, which. Yeah, you know, that's I a nice way for a bully to excuse his behaviour, but. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Yeah. yeah. But in saying that, the bully carried the pack a lot of the time and they, they you know, they were made to look pretty good out of that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and and you know it's ironic, right? Like is that a lot of those guys made a hell of a lot of money off him being like that and driving them to all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Too. And yeah. and the sports and spit, you know, uh, old adage, talent equals tolerance. 
yeah. uh, rings no more true than the, the MJ. What did you boys think of the basketball that you saw in the last dance? So forget Jordan, forget this challenge of who he was and, and he, him as a teammate. The basketball, right? What did you guys think of of that? There were like I was just reminded about how many good teams there were during that time. Oh, right? yeah. I, I will give that to Jordan. They beat some top talent teams, and we think about this super team concept that we think is is actually new. And you think about the Indiana Pacers team that they beat in that 97, 98 Eastern, uh, Eastern Conference Finals. And when they rattled off the guys that they had, right? Like, yeah, they're not Steph Curry or Kevin Durant or whatever, but Detlef Shrimp, Mark Jackson, Reggie Miller, like the Davis brothers. Like, that, mate, that's a super team as well. Yeah. Like, Chris don't Mullen. worry about that. Yeah, they, they they were a good team. I mean, bloody uh, Rick Smith was an all-star at one point. He's seven foot four. He was huge. Oh, sorry, what did um, I say? Della Femme. Sorry, Rick Smith. So, yeah, the Flying Dutchman. So, sorry, I got him wrong. But that, like, that's a hell of a team, eh? Yeah. Also, too, like, you know, in that era, like, I'm sure, like, teams like, there, need, there needs to be a documentary one day on that young Orlando Magic team. Because yeah. you know they they had it all 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 in front of them. They they beat Jordan in that year he come back, and then they actually swept the following year, uh, and then they just f- fell to shit. But I mean, if there's a lesson for the, for for young guys now to 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 look you know to the future and you know we we want to stick this together, it's you know we don't need to be going off and making super teams. You know every team's going to have their dramas, and by looking at the way Jordan spoke to his teammates and admittedly. Players are less, are more sensitive these days, and there's no way that that behaviour that went on then with MJ would carry over to any player and his teammates now. But hopefully, yeah. some of these guys look at it and go, you know, um, all we got to do is stick it out and let's tough it out a bit more instead of bailing at the first sign of crisis, because yeah. this team could actually be be something pretty special. Yeah. And we've seen a trend where that three three headed monster super team is sort of you know, taking a bit of a back seat and it's gone back to that sort of dynamic duo type, type, uh, you know, roster construct with, you know, um, how it is now. Um, and, to, and that's how it was back in the nineties. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the, maybe what you were seeing with that Orlando magic team and the fact that they didn't achieve what the expectations were for them, might speak a little bit to that early stages of, of that super team falling down, you know, the dispute between Shaq and Penny Hardaway. Um, you know, they already had some established stars when Penny Hardaway was actually drafted. You know, maybe that didn't gel that they needed to have this young superstar, right? Um, from a basketball perspective, the other thing I noticed, I don't know if you boys saw today, but they were telecasting game six of, of the – of the night where he, the, he, Jordan's last game as a Chicago bull. Right. And so yeah. is that called episode. game six, the movie? Yeah. Game six, the movie. So uh, it was a weird footage because it was filmed, I think by the same film crew that were doing, ah. maybe doing oh, the documentaries. It wasn't like the that. game footage exactly. Okay. Um, but so it was a little bit unusual to watch, but what I picked up from that was again, Jordan, touched the ball a lot for the Bulls and handled the ball a lot. And what they looked for initially was a one-on-one opportunity for him. And when that didn't come, they used the triangle to get a shot for the team. And, you know, mate, like 
if you, if you are watching the NBA today and you are saying that it's more of a one-on-one individual league today than it was back then, I disagree. I think you need to go and watch some game footage from back then. There was a hell of a yeah. lot of great players, but there was still a superstar on every teammate that touched the ball on every possession. That's that right. was the, I mean, the in Utah that game, Jazz. Alone, 30 yeah. shots. Just, yeah, and the Utah Jazz with Stockton Malone just ran pick and rolls. Yeah. 90% of every possession. If that didn't break down, then they passed it. Yeah. I, still, you know? I love the commentary from Dennis Rodman when he uh, when Jordan stole that ball on the last possession. And he goes, man, I just fucking ran up the court. He was fucking shooting it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I ain't touching it. You had you had Paxson, then you have Kerr. But, like, there's no way he's not he's not taking the shot now. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just stood yeah. there and watched. Yeah, what about yeah? What do you say? He ain't fucking passing the ball. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah, and um, yeah, there's all there's all this talk, you know, uh, that footage, that angle. I mean, I, I can't remember. I'm sure I would have seen it before. But they talk about how Jordan pushed off Brian uh, Brian Russell. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it it there was a one particular angle where they just showed it in real time. Yeah, um, and Brian Russell's momentum when Jordan had his hand in his hip, he was already going that way. So yeah. it, 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 it didn't look like a shove. But, yeah, I heard, a, you know, the following couple of days as a podcast and one guy said, oh, he clearly shoved him. But, you know, my, my take on it is that Brian Russell had momentum and he was going that way. And Jordan may have touched him. And I don't know whether now they call it an offensive foul, um, but the defender definitely had the momentum going the other way. He, he definitely would have got a tech after the shot for taunting, for holding his hand up in the air. Yeah. I <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I... I've watched that footage over and over again, including watching it in real time when it happened. Did he push off? Probably. I don't know. Maybe. But I do agree with you, Streety. The defender in Brian Russell was already going that way anyway. And I feel like Jordan had him beat with a great crossover. It was a hell of a move to get a shot off. And he nailed nailed the shot. So if he added the push off to it, I'm even more impressed. Yeah. So because throughout the whole... Throughout a, a, six games of a series, there would have been a hundred push-offs offs that would have been missed, and yeah. so in actual fact, I was already impressed with the way Jordan freed himself up for that shot and made it under that pressure. So if he actually pushed off as well, I'm I'm even happier with him. Yeah, you know? and there was talk early. I think it was maybe the season before where Jordan was talking about you know that bit on Byron Russell. He came in the league, and you know he's saying you know when, when Russell defends, he gets on his toes. So. Once he gets in his toes, he's lost his footing and his momentum carries him. Same thing in, in this situation, you know, Byron Russell was, was moving, you know, on his toes and then his momentum carried him. Another thing too, like there's no way they would have called an off- offensive foul because if you go back to that conference finals against the Pacers, that game where Reggie Miller hits that hits the game winner, that three, you he want gets to over that screen off. and he basically just shoves him. Uh, yeah. and, and, and Reggie Miller, who was quite good, in his bit in that episode, you know, goes, yeah, was. well, just gave me a little bit of a shove and, you know, I just want to see how far I could, what I could get away with from the refs. Well, so he the refs don't said, call that. They're, they're never calling that on Jordan. Reggie Miller basically said, I ran right through his chest and he did. Yeah. He ran straight at him and ran straight through his chest. It was a hell of a way to free yourself up and he needed to because, you know, but it was a great, you know, I mean, look, and that was, there was a lot more physicality in those days to get away with some of that stuff yeah. anyway, but you know, yeah. who were some of the um, the winners and losers from this docu- documentary? Who who sort of who made appearances? You know, uh, being depicted, who came out? You know, better post documentary than what they were pre documentary. 
Well, it was only a small part, but you mentioned it the other day when we spoke. That was Carl Malone coming onto the bus to congratulate um, both Jordan and the rest of the Bulls, I guess. Yeah. Um, that was a hell of a gesture for a man who had just lost his second final series to the same team. On his home floor as well. Um, he could have I, been anywhere in Utah, but he went on the Bulls bus. Yeah. I would be highly – you would have to go a long way in sports today – to find somebody who would have been willing to do that after being in the position that Carl Malone was in. Like that was, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know that had happened. I'd never no, heard that story. Same. When that came up, I'm like, he's on the damn bus. Well, holy hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I never really liked Carl Malone playing, um, not because, you know, I thought he's a dickhead or, you know, whatever, because you know, he also didn't, there wasn't a lot, wasn't a lot of media about him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was a very gentlemanly thing to do, and you know, players are friendlier these days. But I don't think they, you know, uh, would go to those lengths these days. Otherwise, we probably would have seen it. I mean, there's no way you'd have LeBron getting on the Warriors team bus to to <laughs> shake, you know, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry's hand. Not after a second Finals loss, like Not that's not, you know, like like I don't know that there would be too many people that would summon the energy, given how tired he would be to actually think of the other team and the fact that you hadn't actually congratulated them enough to then go and do that. So yeah. I, I don't know for me, and maybe that's what sticks. There were a few other winners throughout it, I guess. Reggie Miller, I thought was great in it. Um, I, uh, I read today that Scotty Pippen wasn't happy with the way that he was portrayed throughout it by Jordan. And maybe that's particularly that last game with his back injury and all that sort of stuff. Um, but that was, they they made Scotty the villain in that game because they wanted Jordan to be elevated to the hero status. He virtually did it all himself. I th- yeah, I, th- I think I a mean lot the dude, that- the dude fucked his back. Like it was pretty obvious that he was in some level of discomfort from the from the footage that we saw. Yeah, yeah. The thing I didn't like about Pippen, though, I mean, it sort of started early with his contract. Him whinging about that, and it's like, well, sorry, dude, you signed it. Yeah, um, and also he came out like basically. The first couple of episodes, for the first two weeks or whatever, everyone was like, "Oh, poor Scotty Pippen." Yeah. You signed you know? a contract, champ. Unlucky. Yeah. But then... I think out of all the, the the characters in the show, he definitely had the biggest roller coaster of them all. Yeah, but then the the thing I didn't like about him, and I actually lost a lot of respect for him, which I I remembered murmurs of it, but that uh, playoff game when um, yeah they ran the player for Kukoc instead of Pippen, yep. and, he, and he cracked it and sat on the bench. Yeah, and it's like, come on. And then yep. Bill, Bill Cartwright going into the change rooms, crying, saying you let us down. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and after going to battle and putting your body on the line for an NBA season, and then for somebody to do that because they didn't get the ball, yeah, like that. That does speak a bit about Scotty. I, I, he probably is one of the guys that came out because of the roller coaster ride as a bit of a loser, mate. You cannot go past the biggest loser out of all of that was Jerry Krause, mm. and and I think that was fundamentally unfair to him. Especially, yeah, he's not alive to uh, to defend himself. Um, yeah. I think Reinsdorf, the owner as well, um, probably comes out of it worse, having yeah. the, the being finished and what than at the start. Yeah, um, you know, especially you know, like I, I don't know what happens at the end of the clip when he Jordan goes, I wanted to go for seven, I would have gone for seven, but you know, um, Reinsdorf. Do you think they? Krauss. Do you do you believe what Jordan was saying where he said? Pippen would have taken some convincing, but if everybody else came back, Pippen Pip would have come back. 
and we would have won seven. I don't believe that for a second. I don't know if they would have won seven. Um, I think if everyone came back and if Pippen got paid, yeah, he would have come back. Um, but they physically couldn't do that. Like that was the problem. Like not everybody that got paid in that next season by other teams could have got paid that by the Bulls. Yeah. And so I, I think what Jordan's, it's like any of us, right? He had lots of fun. I think because he was an asshole and everyone's like, oh, well, not everybody would have wanted to go for four titles. I don't, I don't think it meant as much to those guys as it meant now. I've got my three titles. I'd like to cash in now and get my money. Well, that, that's, that's, I mean, I think, you know, people talk about legacy and stuff like that. You know, as much as Jordan says, yeah, I wanted to go for seven. And he said, yeah, maybe we wouldn't have won it. I'm not even sure they would have won it for seven. I think they just would have, you know, maybe been too old and just not, not had the legs. That season was the lockout season. So, you know, it, it could have been a shortened season with more prep time without, you know, with the lockout going on. They may have had time to recover. I guess it's something we'll never know. Um, but imagine if Jordan did come back for the seventh and they lost. They got they lost in the conference finals or or, or made the finals and got beat by the Spurs or something like that. Well, who, you know? Yeah, the Spurs won. That was the hell of a Spurs team. That, and they yeah. beat the Knicks, who came through as an eighth seed. And yeah, the Miami so, Heat were a, a heck of a team who were the one seed. Yeah, that, so that, that, I'm, not too, I'm not too sure in that that Spurs side, you like a Robinson, a young Tim Duncan, a young Ginobili. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. I was surprised, um, given the footage that we saw of Carl Malone, up until then, I'm surprised that Carl didn't have an uh, interview himself. But I kind of think that that footage... Those actions spoke louder than words in many ways. So yeah. he probably didn't need to to have his bit from no. from from that footage of him, you know, being that humble guy and and, and the good sport he was. I like him a bit. Carl Malone to me seems a bit like a Tony Lockett, Gary Ablett, if you compare it for Australian sports fans or AFL fans, I guess. He's a guy who was a genius at the game, made a huge amount of money off it but now virtually wants to have nothing to do with it and he's happy to live in anonymity. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to get him to speak on any of it. No. Yeah. Mm. Um, another guy that I thought... Knowing him as well as what I do, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> another guy that I thought has come out quite well um, at the end of especially episode 10, um, who really had no part in it except for footage, was Luke Longley. Um, he actually looked like a, a heck of a player in some of those um, clips um, Dude, he you know, was. I know he he was, but Longley we've always thought of, of of a big white, big dumb dumb white guy, and that that's that's the reputation the big centers had. But back in the nineties, they were bangers. Yeah. But I mean, Longley had legitimate skill, and some some of the, some of the stuff he did. There was that yeah. shot, I think, in one of the series where he hit he hit basically the, the go ahead bucket um, yeah. off a putback or or a crazy layup or something off the backboard. Put and back. there's a clip of Jordan. They walk him back to the timeout, and Jordan just got to roll his eyes, going, "Fuck, man, that was lucky as shit. You got that in, but good." <laughs> yeah, and it was huge. And Longley was such a good player. Like for any kid who watches and loves basketball now, and who finally realised how good a passing big man Andrew Bogut is at the last World Championships, Luke Longley was as good, if not better, as a passing big man than Andrew Bogut. He just – that was why he was perfect for that team out of the triangle. His ability to pass the ball is amazing. And yeah. his ability to feed those players that needed it when they were making good cuts like they did. 
mate, that is why he earned a living and that's why he cashed in and got $36 million or whatever it was from the Knicks or who? 53. 53, there you go. So, 53 from the Phoenix Suns and then he was traded to the Knicks about a year later or something like that. They yeah, well, there you go. Contract. He was shame, medically you know, retired by the Knicks. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's yeah. a shame his career was derailed by injuries because... Um, yeah, you know. but like, mate, you got hard press. Like Longley, he was legit, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously, Dennis Robin was the sort of, you know the funny character that everyone sort of came to love in that. And he had some classic one-liners, um, you know, the one nugget reference a second ago. The other one was, you know, I was, I was Dennis was being Dennis. I just want to be Dennis. I want to go to Vegas and do wrestling and fuck all the girls and, and this and that. <laughs> you know, for him to come out and how... say it so candidly and so nonchalant was, I think was pretty hilarious. I think the best part was when Dennis missed practice to go and do a WWE match. <laughs> <laughs> During an NBA finals. And and, and then and Hulk, the Hulk Hogan's Hulk Hogan's making a joke about it in the in the next day. And and the best part is like a state league training because Jackson made everybody run lines for fucking Dennis's punishment. <laughs> uh, yeah. What? Um man, I'm pretty sure you should fine him or whatever. They just knew Dennis was Dennis and and they needed him. So so this uh, documentary was obviously titled The Last Dance and then Jordan had some, uh, some follow-on from the career. But uh, in, in a quick minute or two, if, if Sports the Spit was granted creative control of um, the, the, the Last Dance again and we chronicled sort of uh, 99 throughout 2002 um, with his and then obviously ownership to the uh, Charlotte Hornets, which... Hasn't proved to be very good. <laughs> How do you think that'd go? Like uh, Jordan's aura would be um, like a crystal ball dumped into uh, a shitty lake. Uh, it wouldn't come out so rosy or sparkly at the end. No, I think it would be harder to paint him as as a god as they have and, and as romantic. And it wouldn't sell as many sneakers, which is exactly what the documentary was set out to do. So that's, you know, you won't see that, but it would have been an interesting watch. I did hear before this aired that uh, a similar film crew spent the entire final season of Kobe Bryant's career with him. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so I would suggest that that's going to be the next documentary you'll see. And I think it would be quite an interesting one. I think, you know, that, you know, they didn't win a championship. They didn't win shit really like that year, but you know, um, that will be an interesting watch to, if you want to see teammates dynamics. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd love to see, well, you mentioned that, probably not Jordan's back office because he's sort of would have been learning the ropes and just going, well, fuck it, pay this and try and get that, which wouldn't really work. But I watched the, uh, uh, Sundle until I die. Yep. And, uh, oh, I love that. How good was that? The end of that. And just, it'd be awesome to see an NBA one of those because you've then got the trade deadlines. You've got people getting traded throughout the season all, all that yeah. sort of stuff. So yeah, it'd be awesome to see a back office, type thing yeah i definitely think this will this documentary will open open the way for a lot more of that sort of uh semi-reality sort of documentation of of events because people inherently find that more interesting than a fictional story yeah definitely. Um, you know well you can um, imagine the 2005 state league behind the scenes jeez you know but i mean every player is so brand conscious you know from from the time they're in the ninth grade up until they go to college and reach the draft that you know, everything's either sanitised or we've seen it all. So a documentary about Zion Williamson's life becomes less interesting because we already know so much about him. 
There's only so much under the table cash you can show getting given to him by Duke. So, yeah, I know. We probably should talk about the NRL. Yeah. <laughs> well, good segue, mate, because uh, the NRL is due to kick off next week. Yeah. How are we? Uh, we looking Seven forward to days it? away, boys. Seven days Seven away, away from live sport being back. Well, yeah. I, just hold on a sec before we talk about that. The, let's talk about the elephant in the room. How has horse racing continued to operate through all of this unchecked? Very good question. Horses don't get the rona? No, but you've got to... to well, they don't run around a track without a foot up their ass. To run around, you've got one, jockeys, you've got stewards, you've got film crew, you've got... You'd have over 100... Handlers, tr- like... You'd have 100 people easy at a race event. The bloke sweeping the shit out of the stable. Like, I don't, I, what I don't, like, and because we're a nation that must be driven completely by gambling, nothing's been said about that. Not a thing. Yeah. No one's asked about whether that's actually safe. We just all turn the telling, oh, horse racing. Yeah, well, of course it's still beyond. Because it's a horse and the horse ain't a human. Yeah. <laughs> Horses can't oh, get Rona. Like, what's that colourful bloody thing on the on its back? <laughs> like, well, you know, like, what? I don't. I, nobody has spoken about that. Now everybody's like, oh, sport's back. Well, horse racing just never stopped. Yeah, it didn't yeah. look like stopping. Yeah. yeah. No, I had the same discussion when they canned all the sport. And, and yeah, horses, dogs, yeah, whatever. The tab was still running. It, that's probably an ultimate sign of the, the almighty dollar in that, yeah, not one politician has brought that up. No. It, nobody has said a thing. It must be. The government must be heavily reliant on taxable income from gambling. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's what's paying for all the um, all the assistance they're giving. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you guys happen to catch any of the UFC recent UFC highlights without no, without crowd and just like the uh, the raw raw sound? No, I didn't. Was it pretty interesting to watch? Uh, I was. You know, you was you could hear everything. Um, you yeah. know. Um, and I guess the brutality was enhanced just from body contact, the noises of the, the impact yeah. and contact. Um, and then, you know, like there's there was interviews from wrestlers or fighters on the undercard saying that they heard commentary because the commentators, three of them, were fairly close, close to the oh. octagon and they were hearing what they were commentating about. And yeah. then in an interview, one fighter said, yeah, I heard they were saying, so I changed my tactic and I ended up winning the fight. <laughs> He just he took some advice from what they were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So instead of doing like a leg kick, he went he went for something up upper body. I can't remember what it was, but something yeah, right. on those lines, and they end up ended up doing well. That is um, going to be interesting. Winning. So the NRL is seven days away from kicking off, and we have seen it just before it all shut down. They played without fans. What what do you what are you boys expecting? Is does it raise the level of play? Does it drop the level of play? I, th- I think it evens it out a bit. Yeah. Um, no home field advantage. No home yeah. field advantage, really. I mean, yeah, you've still, yeah, you some teams are playing at home, but that you, you well, may not be bigger teams, but ones that ride off the crowd. So ones like you, well, for instance, your Tigers at Leichhardt, you, the Knights, the Cowboys, the Broncos, the Storm, like they tend to, rely a lot on their crowd to to pick them up a bit whereas yep. it's it'd be interesting to see in terms of yeah we saw it 
for what two rounds or one round um, before all this, but be interesting to see after a, a long period of time, like who's who's going to best come out of it. I think that well, the structured teams and yeah are going to come through big time because they're just focused on game that crowd didn't really matter yeah. anyway. There's a couple of things I like with what the NRL have done. Um, I like the fact that the state of origin is after the season uh, and they probably didn't have much of a choice in that. Um, now, obviously, next year or whenever things return to normal, they definitely won't be running origin um, at the end of the season. But I do like the fact that they're consecutive weeks and I've been sort of calling for consecutive week origin for, for the longest time. I think the breaks between games are too big. Yeah. Um, and to have it on three consecutive Wednesdays, I think is great. And it's a good test case for NRL for the future. Yeah. To see how this goes. But what it, so, uh, yeah, I don't disagree with the three consecutive weeks. I think that's a good initiative and I'd like to see that. I, and I don't, I, I haven't researched it completely. So this may be redundant as a question, but how do we, how do you tackle the fact that if it's after the grand final, there will be a number of players participating in that series that won't have played for a huge amount of weeks. And, and we know like that, that can like, so the level of performance or the level of ability to perform could be reduced because someone might be five or six weeks finish their season. Yeah, totally. Um, I guess it just comes to, comes down to the fact that you have to make a concession somewhere and, and this was it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, yeah, I just, I think that's going to add an interesting element to it. So Yeah. But I actually think Origin should follow that format anyway. I think you should play your three Origins and you shouldn't play a test match until after the Origins are done. So, you know, when things are restored to as they were, you play your Origins consecutive weeks mid-year and at the, at the end of maybe have a, a month rep season or something like that. And then yeah. after that, after that Origin, you have a test match the following week. And the, and the players from that Origin series are picked in the Australian team. And that yeah. will obviously not cheapen the Australian jersey. This Anzac test and the test before Origin is ridiculous. So I'm glad, you know, um, we, we'll see how things could be by this reset. I think yeah. NRL, NRL have done pretty well to actually have the the, um, the grand final set for the same month it was due to be in Origin anyway, albeit yeah. three weeks later. But yeah. to have it on the end of October, it, I think they've done pretty well the scheduling there. Um, and it being a Bankwest as well, which is uh, pretty good. Yeah. It, it, and maybe we might be able to have a crowds by then. You never know. And and to your point, I, I do like that. I'm a big fan of after everything. Like, I mean, again, I'm reliving childhood here, but remember seeing the the blokes at the pub after the grand final and they're being picked in the Australian side. Yeah. They try and interview them and they're absolutely hammered. Oh, Mad Monday celebrations. You yeah. made Australian Oh, yeah. I used to love sick, it when bro. they get picked for the kangaroo tour and there's footage of them pulling up in cabs at the hotel to go get the medical <laughs> and they're just stepping out in their Nike gear and they're like, you know, and they're, and, and they're, oh, yeah, and then they get down to their, their dacks and then fall asleep on the medical table while they're getting assessed. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're sitting there going, yeah, I took the call and uh, they rang me and I was like, who is this? <laughs> oh, oh, piss you off, Tunks. <laughs> Boys, are you happy with the uh, logistical um, sort of arrangements the NRL have made for teams being allocated home grounds? Um, so teams so to obviously minimise travel and um, yeah. things like that, NRL have allocated six grounds, um, Bankwest, Campbelltown, Central Coast Stadium, um, ANZ in Brisbane 
or whatever it's called now, Suncorp, and yeah, Cowboys home ground in Townsville and down in Melbourne. Yeah. Look, out of I... that arrangement, what sort of teams um, are going to come out with worse or, or better out of this for the next 18 rounds? Well, the Warriors are fucked. Yeah, well, they always were fucked. Yeah, the Warriors are fucked. I think the the ones that are sitting pretty are your, your North Queensland and Melbourne. Yeah. Because if they, which I think I haven't gone through the whole draw yet, but I think they do two or three weeks of home before they play away again. So yeah. I think they'll benefit massively there because, well, they're short trips nowadays as opposed to the old bus trip. But but the fact that, yeah, they're furthest away from any other ground. As far yeah. as the listing the grounds out like Central Coast and Bankwest and, yeah, I I don't have a problem with in that. You're never going to keep everyone happy in the. I'll tell you what, I'd much, I'd much rather be the club's allocated Bankwest than Campbelltown. Well, so, this uh, as well. yeah. <laughs> teams playing at Bankwest, which I'm pretty sure was the Roosters, Cronulla, Penrith, Parramatta, uh, the Bulldogs, and I think someone else um, have done quite well. Where you know St George, Canberra, um, the Tigers, the Tigers, Tigers. they're out at Campbelltown. Um, yeah. I think it was another couple of teams. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I, mean, I guess it just comes down to geography and, you know, for St. George and Canberra, you know, St. George, it's only about 90 minutes from Campbelltown from Wollongong and about two and a half hours from Canberra uh, yeah. to get to Campbelltown. I don't, I, I probably agree that Melbourne's probably going to, Melbourne and Townsville will benefit because, you know, they're, they're allowed to play in their home stadiums, you know, yeah. Um won't make huge difference in terms of fans because they're not there, but certainly being, you know, at home or as close as you can to it makes it a lot, lot more comfortable for you. So um, there'll certainly be an advantage there. I mean, you know, we talk about this Knights 97 premiership having an asterisk next to it. Does this premiership have an asterisk next to it? Because it surely must. Well, I asked someone the same question today and I, and the question was, it will no doubt have an asterisk, but, can you preface that? Well, can that asterisk be positive or negative? If if you are, if you go on to win the comp, um, you know people are always going to hold it against you in some fashion. But can you say that with the disruptions, you know, winning this comp was more and more of an achievement than what it would have been any other year, or is it like oh, you should have scrapped the season anyway, and you know it doesn't count or blah blah blah? Well, the counter argument to that will be: there's no doubt that the team who wins it will have overcome a set of circumstances that no one would have ever deemed possible. But but at the same time, the counter argument to that will be: but you only had to overcome a bunch of teams that were weakened because of those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and so someone will say, well, you know, there was half a premiership, like you know. If the Bulldogs don't win it, that's who I'm going to use. That's what I'm going to use against whoever's team does. So I don't really mind, but that's just going to be basically my approach. Um, yeah, the next question was um, with the NRL sort of resuming points um, from the first two rounds, was did you think the NRL took the easy way out by just letting teams continue on with their points after round two? And given that it's essentially a brand new season, everyone's had the same preseason under the same circumstances, um, do you think that perhaps we should have all, all teams should have started back on zero and just played just the 18 round competition? Yeah, we, we spoke about this before, Strudy, and um, 
like there, there's two sides to it. Like I'm happy Knights were two from two. Thanks for coming. <laughs> but, um, but then on the flip side of that suck shit to the roosters, they didn't even get a win, but I suppose it's hard because I see both sides in terms of, you know, it's a new comp. We're starting this. Here's how it's going to work. But, the same time, those two games, yeah, do we just write them off and go, well, okay, they no, they didn't actually happen. Well, no, because it was still part of the season. As far as the draw goes, this is round three. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't you know, see too much logic behind starting on zero. I don't I don't get it. Like, I mean, you know, those. if, if this is the same comp, then those teams should keep those points. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't see. I guess my point is, it's 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 easier for the NRL to not have to make that call and and to resume mm. as on. But you could definitely make a case that resetting and starting from zero, when everyone's going from the same you know circumstance to begin with, from the announcement of the new preseason, um, you know, many will say should have started zero. Majority of those coming from teams who are either on two or zero points, yeah, then yeah. you definitely would get an against argument for all the teams on four points. Yeah, and what about the AFL boys? It's back June eleven, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's that, that's another interesting one. In that, well, they only had one round, but I suppose it, it's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of they've they're similar too. We've got some hubs and so forth going on. Um, yeah, so the South Australian teams and the West Australian teams basically have to go to Brisbane or like to Queensland, right? Yeah, which I th- I think they did just out of spite. So Victoria had to get out of Victoria, yep, and, and go as far away as possible. So I, I do yep. like that front. Yep. Um, but yeah, where it, are the it, Sydney Swans playing? Are they going to Brisbane? Uh, they- well, they will have to to play any of those other teams. I am not a hundred percent sure about the the layout of the AFL's draw or whether that's even been com- like completely announced. I don't know. No, I don't think they've a- announced the grounds that they're playing at yet. Not, not yet, not yet. Other than just where teams will be based. So, yeah. so yeah. I think out of the out of those two codes, who what code help. do you think will, will adapt best to this new twenty twenty year? Oh well, it seems like the NRL has adapted quicker at this stage. Yeah. Um, and you know, and that and and hats off to them because even I like I mean I was critical of the fact that they were trying to push forward so quickly, but it seems like it's got them back on the park um, a lot quicker than others. Um, I, I think I think it will be inherently harder for the AFL um, because they have two teams in each of those states that are not willing to basically, or three, you know, three states in terms of Brisbane or Queensland as well, which I'm not sure how it's going to work. But um, yeah, they're not willing to kind of make allowances for their professional sporting teams. So I think those teams will be at an inherent disadvantage if we run the same rule over the AFL competition, I think, you know, the Power, the Crows, the Dockers, the Eagles, given they have to leave home and do exactly what the Warriors are doing, and so you got four or five teams doing that, that's going to be inherently harder, mate. I, like, I can't, you know, I yeah, the AFL is going to come out worse off this, I think. With those teams that are travelling that you mentioned, coming from WA and South Australia, are they actually staying in Queensland as like in a hotel and doing yeah. that, that, that arrangement? That's my understanding. Yep. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Okay. It's basically because they're 
oh, being stricter on their borders in that if you leave and come back, your 14-day quarantine kicks off. Starts again. Whereas Queensland, yes, aren't opening borders for tourism. However, for work, you can go between without that quarantine. So, yeah, wow. It's yeah. crazy, isn't it? Yeah, this is something that they're. This is what they're currently fighting over in the states as to the configuration of their comp, where ideas have been floated to have like that sort of bubble kind of arrangement, where mm. you'll have a team go to Vegas or you know Disney World in, in Florida, where you have the infrastructure for multiple hotels, you've got multiple courts in this dome that you know you can file in and out, and you know have a clean between each game, and you know play the games, and then just roll through your regular season that way. There seems to be some resistance. Um, from varying sort of angles as to, you know, whether they think that's a good idea or not. Yeah, um, absolutely. Interestingly, I think a couple of days ago was the um, players' paychecks were, uh, that, was, that was the date when they started to be reduced. So it's all become very real in the hip pocket for a lot of these guys. Yeah. Um, th- there was an example of Chris Paul. I know this is quite extreme and not many people would have any sympathy for him. But he, he earns about 40, 36 or 40 million this year. And with the uh, they get paid monthly or fortnightly, whatever it is. So his his check would have been four hundred thousand dollars less per check as a result of the um, the discounts or the you know players being paid at a pro-rated amount or whatever term they use. My, my heart bleeds for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean he, he's at the top end, but you can imagine guys on the on the lower sort of minimum scales that you know are losing 30, 40 grand. Um, would yeah, hurt him pretty bad. Would hurt him pretty bad. Um, yeah. Quickly, just back to NRL. Um, do your tips maintain the same? We had our preseason tips. Um, you're running with the same ones. I saw the Raiders were instilled as premiership favourites. Um, I had Parramatta winning in the comp. I'm still going to stick with that. I think um, this can probably suit them better than other clubs. Yeah, I didn't. I, I wouldn't necessarily change too many of my preseason tips. Because I hadn't seen enough in the two rounds to kind of to 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 kind of see what I probably thought would justify a change. Um, I, you're probably right, Strudy. I mean, playing at Bankwest Stadium most of the time, you know, that probably helps. You don't have to go too far. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't change too much. I think. Yeah, it'd be uh, kind of funny if Parramatta won and they won in a year. So they're, they're the team with the longest premiership drought. And uh, for them to win this year, if they were to win, imagine the shtick they'll get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be an asterisk premiership if they win for sure. Illegitimate premiership potentially. Um, yeah. So the draw was released. Sorry. Sorry. I was going to say. No, nah, keep going, mate. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say the draw was released and they ranked the schedules. And um, to my dismay, Cronulla was uh, touted as having the easiest schedule, which for me straight away has just put the mocker on them. So there's every chance those easy games will lose and uh, our season's done before it even starts again. Yep. Yeah, you're going to be in some drama street, I reckon. They've just basically jinxed you. Yep, totally. Yeah, that was probably – I think, yeah, didn't you reference that that was probably one of ScoMo's conditions for allowing it to go ahead was that they gave the Sharks the easiest draw. I wouldn't be surprised, um, but I don't think it'll, it'll backfire on him, unfortunately. Do you, do um, you boys get the impression – so the NRL's back, the AFL's back, but will it last? If there's a positive coronavirus test, will it last? And will any other leagues get up and running? What about the A-League? Heard anything from them lately? Not a thing. Yeah. No. Not, a, not a thing. I think 
from last article I read about a week or two ago, it was all the Fox um, sports people all saying, no, nah, it'd be stupid to restart it now. Yeah, same. I, I think the difference between the A-League and the two major footy codes is the major footy codes have got money and, and interest from TV, where unfortunately for the A-League, people don't necessarily care. Yeah. Uh, there's more more interest in what is what happening in, in the EPL. Yeah. The same goes for rugby with their Super 15 comp. You know, r- rugby is almost on the verge of collapse in the sense that uh, the TV networks have stayed away. Fox actually haven't, you know, um, gone to renew or offer a TV deal to them. Uh, so that competition's in, you know, dire straits and they're having to restructure and do interstate things and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So rugby probably may be one of the biggest affected sports and, you know, five, six years ago you wouldn't have thought that, that they were sort of at the mercy of but, uh, collapse. But, yeah. but answer the question, yeah, I reckon it, it is. It's a very, be a very interesting couple of weeks coming up because I think that will, well, that Volandi's already come out and said they lost money hand over fist. If 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 it's a positive case, yeah, you're gonna it's it's gonna shut it down again straight away. I reckon because there's too many variables in. And yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I feel like that's one of the reasons why you're not going to probably see too many North American sports back up and running very quickly because that's so rampant over there that the chances of getting a positive test, just not just one, you know, like it's easy to say, Oh, well, we'll just pull that one player out and then we'll just roll on. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, like Adam Silver is still saying, is, is it worth restarting it? Because if we have one, we are shutting it down again. So yeah, exactly. Well, I, don't, I don't know about that. Like if you have one, like there was some talk that the, there's a, there was some push that if they had one guy test positive, he'd be sort of basically removed until he was not positive anymore and then the people around him would be tested. If they tested negative, they can continue on. Mm. So it's a matter of just plucking plucking the bad eggs out of the bunch and then when they're, they're good, they can come back in. Yeah, yeah but I yeah. think that only works to a certain degree when yeah. you can you only pluck so many eggs out of the basket before yeah. you, you've only got bacon left. Yeah. And, well, like the Warriors have had a massive sacrifice there, what if, yeah, you have two, three, four positive tests, right? That team's now pulled. Yeah. But is that fair? That Just no? on the Warriors, I think uh, the NRL have been grossly unfair to these guys. I mean, it was the Warriors who have essentially enabled the comp to start again by agreeing to come back. Yeah. And then the idea was floated, you know, to loan players to them, which I think is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. And the NRL have said, no, I'm just like, what are you guys doing? Like yeah, exactly. how many players are, are keen, you know, so that, that sort of loan transfer system, which they yeah. do with success in football in Europe, I think would actually be kind of a good thing. You've got your players yeah. on, on the fringes in the first grade, they're loaned to a team that needs it, who are here, I think can only benefit the comp. Why yeah, not? I agree. Yeah, I don't think like, they've been very fair to the Warriors and I think the Warriors, mate, if they just all walked out and went, forget it, we're going home. Like if one of those guys tests positive, you know, what do you, the, the reality here is if you get one positive test in a group of 30 people, then in society, the other 30 people have to self-quarantine for 14 days because there's an inherent risk that they will have it as well. And so what do you do in a sports situation where you're trying to play? If it's the NBA, for example, you're trying to play every second day, do you just go, well, we took the one positive test out because everybody tested negative today. That means they won't test positive tomorrow. So let them go and play another team. So I think I think um, what I've heard on that is the NBA were concerned about um, getting 
thousands of thousands of tests. Siri, just be quiet, please. Um, <laughs> Siri is always listening, no matter what. Yeah. Um, so the NBA's thing was, okay, um, we understand for this situation, we would have X amount of tests that we could test players every day, maybe even twice a day, because you get a result back within 15 minutes. Right. So if you continually rolling, doing these rolling tests twice a day, get your result 15 minutes later, that's a way of staying on top of, you know, where people are at. Um, but then I guess the NBA's concern with that is, well, uh, how many how many thousands of tests are we taking out of the, the pub, public circulation? Same thing, I guess, would be with the NRL. So it's just probably availability of testing kits um, could determine whether if a guy tests positive, pull him out and just have these rolling tests every every day, twice a day for the rest of the squad. Yeah. Um, and then if they continue to remain negative, well, then that's great. Keep going. And if not, I think, you know, it's only fair there should be a, a second tier or loan system of players to pull players from. Yep. Well, it's a hell yeah. of a concept, right? I'm really excited to see what's going to happen next week when the NRL kicks off. And in a couple of weeks' time when the AFL kicks off, I'm just glad to have sport back, to be honest. Yeah. And maybe uh, the focus will be on Australian sport um, for, for a bit and then uh, you never know what interest will be from the States when they've got nothing to watch. They might tune into the, tune into the footy, which I think is what that's what the NRL is hoping for. Yeah, definitely, without to, a doubt. Uh, so. Cross-show some live sport onto ESPN. They, they'd love that. Yep. Yeah, good stuff. Well, it's still all up in the air. It's in the, it's in the cloud. I guess all will be revealed in the weeks to come, but uh, it's been a good chat, boys. And for what we say tonight, could be completely different in the next two days. Yep, exactly. Good on you, boys. Good to catch up. Thank you. We will see you soon. And uh, until then, stay safe and bring on the footy. See you, gents. Adios, hey, amigos.